Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 393 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday afternoon slash evening here on April the 2nd, and I am joined as often slash always by my friend, Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, Brad. Doing well. Happy opening weekend to you. It is great to have real baseball back. You have the Final Four going. You have, I mean, it's just a, it's a great time of year and always good to have some real life baseball games to talk about. Yeah, you do have the Final Four going. That's actually where I am. So if my audio quality is not the best it's because I'm in a Houston hotel room right now on this Sunday. So my apologies for that. But I wanted to get the podcast out in its regular time slot. And uh, here we are. Of course, the Braves lose on this Sunday, but still win the opening series. Two to one, sorry, two two one basically over the Nats, and that's kind of a taking care of business performance. We'll talk about more later on in the show. It's kind of what you would expect probably against the Nats in a three game series is two and one. Um, is that kind of where you are, Scott? We'll obviously get into the games later on, but it feels like that was kind of a ho home opening weekend. Yeah, it, it would be nice to be greedy and go for the sweep, uh, but Mackenzie Gore is legitimately good. And then, of course, we know Jared Schuster was making his debut today, and I think the nerves probably got the best of him early on. So sure, you. Uh, I mean, trust us. We we would have loved to have done this after a sweep instead of two and one, as fans probably recall quite well from last year. This team really struggled in day games. Uh, they were also really bad on Sundays. I looked it up. They were twelve and fourteen a year ago on Sunday, which is just odd for a club that won one hundred and one games. And we know they struggled during the daytime more times than not. Um, so 0 and 1 on Sundays to begin the year, it's probably just one of those weird baseball things. But you go 2 and 1, and, and now the schedule really does uh, get a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and we'll touch on that at the end of the podcast as well. But uh, certainly needed to have a strong start, and they were able to do that, even if it was not quite a 3 0 sweep that maybe everyone would have been looking forward to. Um, before we get to the games, though, a little bit of news at the top of the show. This happened a few days ago, but it was kind of a surprise, not in a bad way, but Orlando Garcia signed an extension basically on the day before, before opening day for three years and $7.3 million. That's a very modest number for a three-year extension. Also a club option beyond that, so it might even be a four-year deal at the end of it. Uh, he got a bump this year and is making more than he's supposed to, probably because he is the starting shortstop at this point at this point in time. And the Braves had a club option for 24 originally. But the way that I read this, Scott, is basically they're committing to him for longer than a typical utility infielder would actually command. But this is the money that you would get for basically being a backup infielder. That's kind of what I think about this deal, which is it's nice for him. I understand why he would take it to have that security. And, you know, nothing was guaranteed beyond this year for Orlando. And now he gets $7.3 million in his pocket. But uh, definitely not a deal where, like, I understand it's a little bit strange, but it's not like a, uh, a deal like where they could bite the Braves. Even if they wanted to move on from him, they probably could pretty cheaply and easily. So uh, I have no issue with it whatsoever. No, I don't either. And good for Orlando. He's been around the team for a couple of years now and I think played the backup infielder role nicely. And he found himself as the start, starting shortstop on a team that's trying to win a World Series. So he mentioned the security guaranteeing himself upwards of $7 million. I'm sure he slept very well this weekend um, having having that uh, guarantee. And you're absolutely right. Let's say that in a perfect world, in a couple of months, Vaughn Grissom is just destroying AAA and he kind of forces his way up to Atlanta. If Orlando is your backup infielder making $2 bucks a year, that's perfectly fine. You noted that, that that's a contract that you could probably get rid of. I can't imagine why, because the Braves clearly like Orlando probably more than the general public, I guess, would. 
Um, they, they trust him, and he's versatile. He can hit the ball. Um, had a nice uh, opening weekend defensively. No blunders. Made a couple of nice plays, which is what we're certainly looking to see. Um, yeah, maybe it wasn't. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting an extension, but good for Orlando. And and as we know, the Braves like that security built in. Yeah, the Braves definitely are pro extension, uh, but you don't often see a three year extension for that little money. Like it's not unprecedented. It's just a little bit strange and un- unexpected as a result. Uh, like you said, you get a pretty solid opening weekend. I think you have like a seven seventy five or something like that. OPS did a fine job defensively. Like did a nice job, and that's kind of all you can ask for for Orcia at this point in time. He's going to hit ninth and just be out there and be a glove for you and. Hopefully that all works out, but uh, it's an interesting move, but one that, that doesn't really have a lot of downside. So that's uh, not not really worth panicking about, even if you were not the biggest RCA fan in the world. Um, speaking of, I guess now former utility infielders, uh, Charlie Culberson's back in the minors anyway. He's currently, as we record this podcast on Sunday afternoon slash evening, he's actually pitching right now for Gwinnett. I'm not sure if you saw this, Scott, but uh, Culberson was signed to a minor league deal kind of out of nowhere and is going to be around. I know he's a bigger name that actually is worth like talking about him for the Billy roster right now, I think, but uh, an old friend and uh, obviously a pitching depth move beyond everything else. <laughs> yeah, definitely a familiar name. I forget which club Culberson was with before signing the minor league deal with Atlanta, but he was notified that he wasn't going to be on the opening day roster. So of course he elected free agency, uh, not a bad guy to have around in Gwinnett. I think Charlie was very well liked during his time with the Braves it's probably going to be difficult for him to get up to Atlanta. I guess um, if there's an injury with, with the bench, I suppose he he might be the next one to get a call. There are a handful of, of talented outfielders in Gwinnett who didn't make the opening day roster, but I think are going to be in the mix. We of course know that Grissom and Shoemaker there on the infield as well, but it's, you know, it's, it's not even a, there's no risk, right? You bring him in, good clubhouse guy. Maybe he sees Atlanta at some point. And I know Braves Facebook was over the moon for this one. So shout out to <laughs> shout out to Braves Facebook. Um, but yeah, good good to have Charlie back. He seems like a good guy. Yeah, I'm sure there's a segment of the fan base that would like Charlie to be starting at shortstop on uh, on Monday. But no, all joking aside, it's it's a fine depth move, and it's just if he wasn't so familiar, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't been a move anybody even noticed probably. But uh, because he is a former Brave and was certainly a fan favorite in some circles, having him around not the worst thing in the world. Um, last sort of bit of news here: Michael Soroka is going to make his first start in Gwinnett on Tuesday. That's a nice step for him. Obviously, with the work we talked about earlier, and we'll talk about again later about Schuster today. There's a little bit of flexibility at the end of the rotation. I think people have kind of been calling for and expecting a lot from Soroka. We've kind of, as a podcast, tried to dampen expectations because of all the injuries and how just how long he's been out. But obviously, he has a good arm and has a lot of upside if he's, if he's right. So uh, what do you make of that as, as he sort of gets a, a step closer to uh, being, potentially being a tribute on the Schuster roster? Yeah, the Braves are, are, with, I think, good reason, being very cautious with Soroka. He, of course, really only had a couple of weeks of spring training. I think he ended up missing almost a month from live pitching action from the the hamstring issue that was bugging him. I think on like day three after pitchers and catchers reported, he did get into the one uh, one spring game about a week ago, which was good to see Um, the Braves just for all of the reasons I think folks are familiar with. It has been a long time since he has pitched regularly at the major league level. They're going to bring him along slowly as they should and we know it's a long year. I think the odds are against him just with what he is trying to come back from and, and 
the health issues he's had the last few years. But if it means being more cautious with him, maybe only throwing three or four innings early on in the year to really rebuild his strength and even some of the things like muscle memory that he probably needs after being away from the game for almost three calendar years. Um, if he can make an impact on this team in the summer or in the fall, we know, or at least we strongly suspect there are going to be very important games in September and hopefully deep into October. And if you can have Soroka healthy then and making an impact, then I'm, then I'm all for bringing him along a little bit slower. Yeah, just taking it easy with him. And I mean, there's a path potentially to a bullpen role. Like I know early in today's game when Schuster was struggling, there was kind of a, a collective Twitter question about who's the long man right now because they don't really have one. Like I guess it's Chavez if you had to choose, but uh, that's a, that's a role that exists as well that he might be useful in at some point in time. And and look, like if he's if he's right in June, July, whatever, he could be a fifth starter, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. Obviously, he has uh, as much upside as anybody else does in that role because he used to be quite good when he was a uh, pre-injury. So um, I know our old pal Eric is is holding out hope for uh, for Soroka to be back in the mix sooner rather than later. That's that's his guy forever, but. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think that he's at least someone to keep an eye on. And uh, it wasn't like Schuster grabbed hold of the job today. <laughs> so it's a little bit uh, open still at this point in time. Yeah, and it does feel like it's going to be a little bit of a carousel. Well, we're excited to see Dylan Dodd pitch on Tuesday in St. Louis. But even with the excitement, the very real outlook that he's never done this before. Uh, we'll talk about Schuster in a little bit. I was not blown away today he did settle in a little bit as the game went on but i was not blown away by the stuff or the command uh, we know bryce elders in the mix um, ian anderson we should mention didn't even make it out of the first inning in gwinnett today he gave up Ooh. six runs in two-thirds of an inning uh, you know i don't want to beat the guy while he's down uh, but i you know i don't know what the future holds for ian it was just one start today you know, you don't want to overreact too much, but with his struggles recently and then uh, the way that he did not have a good spring and then struggled horribly today, uh, it's it's not the end of the road by any means. But there, there's, as we knew going in, some very real questions about the fifth starter job. And frankly, we may, we may not have any answers or know if we have an answer for at least a couple of weeks, if not months. Yeah, the Braves are still listing TBA on Wednesday, and that would have been Freed's spot. Looks like it's probably going to be Elder, who's going to who actually pitched on Friday and went out. So he would be the guy that I think people are expecting to start on Wednesday. So he becomes the sixth guy. Anderson, like you said, was really bad today, and that's not a great sign as he sort of tries to work his way back. So a lot of uncertainty still, uh, and you know the Freed injury adds to all of that. We'll get into that in a second as well, and we'll talk about opening day. But uh, that 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 uh, that bit of extra uncertainty was not welcome for anyone at this stage. All right. So before we dive in to the games and uh, that aforementioned freed injury, though, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Let us dive in now to opening day. And uh, as a top line, they got a nice win, 7-2. to It's fairly comfortable along the way. But uh, unfortunately, even on a day and, and a lot of excitement and a comfortable win over a bad opponent, probably the lead story still has to be the injury to Max Freed. So he was covering first base in the fourth inning, had some hamstring discomfort. They still, as of this recording, have not placed him on the IL, but he flew back to Atlanta. Everyone knows he's going to be on the IL at some point, and it'll probably be, back, be backdated, but who knows when. But uh, obviously not great news. It didn't seem like it was the worst hamstring injury in the history of the world. He tried to give it a go after that, but uh, wisely, I think, by all parties, he did not try to push through that on you know March 30th or whatever it was. So uh, you know a little bit of doomsday, I guess, there at the top of the season for, for us, Scott, because uh, Freed would be on the short list of guys that cannot afford to be without. Yeah, and I mean, without being a a doctor on the field with Max, it did not seem to be severe, which is obviously a very good thing. Sometimes you see those hamstring pulls, and it's like, well, that's a two month injury. It didn't look like that for Max. Um, you know, it, it's never good to lose your ace to a guy who could have, you know, is going to be in the running for a Cy Young award. We think. Uh, hopefully, it's just a couple of weeks instead of a, a longer long term uh, prognosis. Uh, and if I guess if you're going to have an injury, it's better to get it out of the way early in the year. And I think the Braves were very rightfully cautious with Max. Who knows? Maybe if it was a playoff situation or something crazy, he could have gutted it out. But those hamstrings are just one of those things that take time. I'm sure he's getting a lot of work done on it. And hopefully within a couple of weeks, he's back out there. Because it goes without saying, we knew this rotation had some questions at the back end coming into the year. And if they're without Max for any extended period of time, I think it would really put a strain on things. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to do like a, a, a list or a ranking or whatever, but uh, he would be, I think in my mind, certainly in the top five players on the roster that the Braves would not want to be without for any length of time, just because of how important he is and, and the questions beyond that, how good he is. I mean, obviously, you know, everyday players have generally more value than starters, but when you have some questions and when you are as good as Max Freed, he would be on the short list there of guys that they cannot really afford to be without. So uh, fingers crossed on that. We'll have uh, updates, I'm sure, w- with Sean, whatever it happens later this week, when or Chris and Steven, et cetera, on uh, sort of the update, whatever they finally give one. But he's going to be out for a little bit of time, if nothing else. Um, as for the rest of Thursday, it was obviously a positive. Other than the free injury, they scored three runs in the second inning, never trailed again. At seven runs, 12 hits, six walks. Uh, old pal Patrick Corbin, who we talked about on the previous show, had been the worst starting pitcher in baseball in the last two years. Um, looked like it. In that in that start, uh, I feel kind of bad actually for Patrick Corbin. He looks he, he's just obviously very cooked and is not uh, very good, but he's making a lot of money and he was uh, a prime target for the Braves on Thursday, particularly with the guy like Travis Tarnot who had four hits. So it was it was pretty uh, smooth sailing other than the free injury. Yeah, what a uh, what a downfall for the Nationals. I mean, th- this team was so talented and the pitching staff was so good just a couple of years ago, and then it's like the ghost of Patrick Corbin is out there on opening day. You noted the Braves were all over him, really, from the first pitch. And really, 
even though it was only, and I'm saying only in air quotes, only a seven to two win. The game was never really in doubt. Even when Freed was hurt, I believe it was five to nothing. You mentioned Travis Darno had four hits. Uh, the top of the lineup was hitting. The bottom of the lineup was hitting. I think it just really on full display showed how deep this lineup is, one through nine. And it was a good way to start the year. I mean, it's, it's funny, as good as the Braves have been the last five years, five straight division titles, they've averaged what? Other than 2020, the shortened season, what have they averaged those other four years? 95 wins. It, it's funny because the team has not been great on opening weekend. Believe they started two and zero for the first time since 2015 of all years, which is kind of funny. Um, but it, it was good to get off on the right foot. You never want to lose on opening day, just because things get so magnified. And other than the freed injury, things went about as well as you could have hoped for. Yeah, and uh, speaking of that, sort of was a full weekend takeaway. But the bullpen looked great all weekend, especially when Freed left the game early. They um held the held the line the rest of the way in effective fashion same thing on saturday they pitched very well even today you know the the national scored all four of their runs in the first inning and didn't score again so the bullpen has been uh, rock solid through three games as well which was uh, starting on thursday and that's always a positive start to your season uh saturday was kind of similar to thursday after the day off a 7-1 victory this time around uh, lots of home runs on saturday acuna hit one um start the game and matt olson also hit one he actually had two in the game um, Marcelo Zuna hit a home run on Saturday, and then uh, from there it was all Strider. Uh, I'm, I'll let you talk about it because I, I I'm probably at a loss for words. I think Strider looked about as good as anyone could possibly look on Saturday. He was unbelievable. Yeah, no, he, I mean it was um, there was no drop off from what we saw last year with Spencer. The fastball was crisp. He had an inning or maybe two where he didn't have full command, but the rest of the game it was just dotting that fastball in the outer corners. And then that slider, which is just impossible. I mean, there, there were Nationals hitters who were kind of laughing as they struck out because there wasn't anything they could do. Nine strikeouts and in six innings. And as we kind of heard and were teased about in the spring, it seems like the changeup has gotten even better for Spencer. That was a pitch I think last year he really used just more of a show pitch and didn't necessarily go to it very often with two strikes. I believe he had three of his nine strikeouts came on a changeup, including his final strikeout of the day. And we know how good the fastball is in the, in the slider. But if you're telling me that that he has added a changeup that he can really go to at times, uh, I mean, he, he's probably never going to be someone who needs to throw it 20 times a game with as good as his other two pitches are. But if he has a changeup in the mix now, I mean, come on, that, that's not fair to anybody. No, I and mean, we don't we try not to be hyperbolic on this show as a general rule, but if that's the guy he's going to be, I mean, he's a Cy Young favorite. I'm not sure he's the Cy Young favorite. He's certainly at the top of the list. Um, you know, it's one, it's one start, but following up on last year when he was by an per inning basis, probably the best pitcher in the national league. Like he looked like that again on Saturday. So that's obviously a great place to start off with and you never want to get carried away, but it's hard to not get carried away when you watch him, watch him dominate. The one caveat being it was the nationals lineup. The nationals are very bad, but he was uh, his stuff plays against anybody. I think we kind of know that at this point. And by the way, as we talked about Olsen in two home runs, even with an 0 and 3, 0 for 3 day today on Sunday, Olsen's still slugging a thousand for the season so far. Yeah. Uh, MVP front runner, Matt Olsen, I think, at this point. <laughs> uh, Parkview High School Zone. Yeah, he looks really good. I mean, we know he had the historic spring where he was out of his mind, almost homered on opening day. Honestly, if it wasn't like 45 degrees and windy, 
that ball probably should have gone out. And then he had the two home runs on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, he, he's locked in. We know last year that Matt was someone who ran very hot and then very cold and then hot and then cold. So let's hope he's a little more steady this year. But if the month of March and now into early April or any indication, it looks like Matt is going to have a huge year. Let us hope so, because I will be happy to tweet out my Parkview High School propaganda throughout the season. All right, let's talk about Sunday, the least fun game of the weekend. It was 4-1 to one in favor of Washington, and it was 4 nothing in a hurry because of what we talked about before with Jared Schuster. He did settle in to his credit after that and got them through some innings because it felt like it was pretty dire, as we'll discuss in a second. The Braves have seven games starting on Monday in a row, and that meant they didn't really have the luxury of playing around with Jared Schuster. I think in, in a certain situation, maybe they would have pulled him after the first inning. That's how bad he looked. But they couldn't afford to do that, and he came back in and did battle. But the first inning was a single, single, walk, single, walk, walk uh, to start the start his career. That's not what you want. He threw 12 strikes in the first inning out of 26 pitches. He did uh, walk five and generally did not look very good. It was kind of, if you were a Schuster skeptic based on his stuff in previous iterations and what his sky report is, this kind of was the nightmare scenario because his stuff just did not look particularly crisp, but he cannot afford to walk people. I think we kind of knew that already. I was talking to my friend, our friend, Eric, about this at, at one point. He's not the biggest Schuster guy in the world, but one thing that we do kind of know is that he can't afford to miss because his, his stuff is not that electric and that uh, he was missing today. There's nothing that says that you have to throw an upper 90s fastball in order to be successful in the majors. But the fact is that Schuster is going to sit 90, 91, um, even with you know, his his adrenaline pumping today for his first pro start, you know, the command was not there. The fastball was not very crisp. His changeup was up in the zone early on, I think, as he settled in and probably uh, got his heart rate down a little bit. And look, he, he's a 24-year-old kid making his major league debut. No one expects him to go out there and be Greg Maddox from day one. But uh, we, I think the first inning was it just kind of showed where if you do not have the premium stuff and you don't have your command, you're not going to be able to get away with it. The way that someone like a Mackenzie Gore, on the other hand, maybe he didn't have great command, but when you're throwing mid nineties and have better breaking stuff, you have a, a bigger margin for error. Uh, that being said, Schuster did a, a much better job after that first inning. I'm sure he got a lot of handshakes in the clubhouse afterwards I mean, it could have been a situation where the Braves had to pull him after the first inning and just destroy the bullpen ahead of a, a week where you're going to play seven games in seven days. So the fact that he was able to cover almost five innings, I think, is is certainly going to win some favors. Um, and we'll see how he fares. I believe he's, his next start will come against the Padres in Atlanta, which is a much more difficult lineup. But let's hope he took something away from today and can be more of the guy we saw from the maybe innings two through five instead of the the first inning where he clearly just did not have it. Yeah, I would, even if you are skeptical of Schuster, I would caution people to overrate or overstate the first inning. Um, like you said, it was, it was debut. He was probably nervous and he's not as bad as he looked there. There's no question about that. Um, you know, how good he is is up for debate, obviously. And I think, uh, I'll say this very nicely, I think Braves fans are a little bit spoiled at this point as because basically every young guy comes in and just rocks immediately <laughs> for a long time. Now it's kind of uh, hilarious how good you could say luck or fortune or just how good they've been generally speaking in development, but all these young guys have just been incredible 
from day one. And that doesn't, you can't always have that happen. It just doesn't work that way. So maybe he won't be very good. That's possible. Maybe he settles in from here and uh, it was just one bad inning and he's fine after this, but between him and Dodd, who we'll see on Tuesday, um, you know, elder probably on Wednesday, we'll maybe, maybe still see Ian at some point, even though he didn't look good today, uh, you know, lots of, lots of questions. And uh, you know, Schuster, at least, like you said, did his part to save the bullpen, and that was uh, probably the biggest takeaway um, after the sort of the damage was done because the offense did nothing today. Um, the one hit, uh, sorry, the one run that was driven in was by Darno in the fourth, but it was all quiet from there. Uh, I will, I'll leave with, I'll leave with the positive here. Did you happen to see Sean Murphy uh, throw someone out today with like a one point eight second pop time? Yeah, that was sexy. He but is I mean, uh, a monster. Yeah, and I mean, I know people were, I don't know, people are weird. Sean Murphy had two bad games at the plate, and people are freaking out. It's like, come on, guys. Um, but it's okay. Everybody's it's okay. Everybody. Yeah, I think he'll be okay, right? We, we've seen him for 18 out of like two, 1,200 innings this season. But uh, no, the throw was awesome. Yeah, I had to, had to always leave with that because, yeah, he's not hitting, but that's okay. I, I think we did caution people like he's not going to probably be an all-star level hitter. Like that's not what his appeal is. He's, he's a solid hitter for a catcher, but he's not going to blow your life away. It's just that his, his defense his receiving his arm are uh, very valuable, especially in the current climate with the rule changes and like all the extra uh, stealing attempts. And I think he's going to be a huge weapon there that was on full display. Uh, I say that positively to stop here and go to Marcelo Zuno. So Marcel played in all three games to open the weekend. That is not ideal. I don't think. Also, he played left field twice. Uh, that's not great. He did DH on Saturday against a righty because they sat Murphy and Darno was the catcher. He did a home run, did Ozuna, which was kind of similar to last year when he did have some home runs along the way. Marcel hit 23 homers last year and still managed to be a strongly below average offensive player. And this weekend, he was one for 12. It was a home run, but he was one for 12. Did you see anything that you liked from Ozuna or was it uh, just frustration? Because my my big thing is that he shouldn't be playing defense, especially not twice in the first three games. Yeah, I think ideally he would be DHing almost every time. If if the Braves are going to play him, I would prefer it be as a DH. Um, there was a, a at least one play today where probably a better left fielder would have made the catch, uh, but he didn't. Um, he did hit the ball hard a couple of times. He had nothing to show for it on Sunday he did have the big home run on Saturday, but as you pointed out last year, it felt like he was effectively home run or bust where he didn't hit for average. He didn't get on base. Uh, and if, I mean, I guess if he's just hitting home runs out of like the eighth spot every now and then that's not like the worst thing in the world, but I, I'm just, I'm just not overly confident. Uh, that being said, he did have a couple of hard hit balls. The The final out today was a rocket up the middle that just ricocheted right off the pitcher to the first baseman. It's kind of a microcosm of the game as a whole. Uh, and we also saw this weekend, probably unconventional to the rest of the year, the Braves did see two left-handed starters. Of course, you're going to see a righty about 75, 80% of the time. So we'll be curious to see what they do with the lineup. Um, in general, I thought the lineup construction was a little odd, maybe not bad, but just kind of not what I was expecting against three games a lot of baseball to be played we'll see where they go from here um but to, i guess to, to come full circle it was not a super encouraging weekend from marcel but he did hit a couple of balls well which is encouraging yeah they, they leaned into the right left right left thing that they like to do with snit in the lineup 
I will say people were surprised by Ozzy hitting cleanup against a lefty, and that should not be surprising because Ozzy is incredible against lefties, always has been. The problem is Ozzy can clean up against a righty, which happened on Saturday. That that I don't like very much because, you know, I love Ozzy. He's not anything more than an average hitter against right-handed pitching, and he probably shouldn't hit in cleanup. But anyway, it's it's not a huge deal, and I've, I've sworn off line of, line of construction angst, at least in April. I, I, I just can't do it, Scott. I, yeah. I, I, I try, I try, I used to do it all the time, and I got, I got kind of sick of it, and I just, yeah. it matters, but it's uh, nothing egregious enough for me to get mad about just yet, anyway. Yeah. No, there's 159 more games to go. If uh, if we're still seeing um, curious lineup decisions come September, then sure, then we can have a whole discussion about it. But it's a long year, and there was nothing. I mean, really, this weekend there was nothing surprising, right? No. Like I, I don't know about you, Brad, but there wasn't anything I saw. I was like, oh wow, I wasn't expecting that. Both the good and the not so good. I, I think it was pretty par for the course. Yeah, it's going to be a shorter episode from us, just be, uh, in part because there's only three games to cover. But also, like you said, it wasn't like there was any huge outliers. You know, Freed's injury is unfortunate. Schuster's first inning was outlier bad, I think. But everything in between, you know, the guys who played well, Olsen, Darno, like they're they're good players. Ron hits a home run, looks fine. Um, you know, not a whole lot. I mean, Michael Harris looks like Michael Harris. Murphy's defense plays up. The pitching, I mean, Strider looks great. It's like, yeah, it's kind of what you expect. They won two out of three games against a bad against a bad opponent. Yes, it was on the road, but yeah, it was a pretty standard, with the exception of Max Fried uh, injury opening weekend. It isn't so bad when you were projected to win, you know, ninety five hundred games, and you go out and take care of business on opening weekend. Um, before we get out of here, we should at least touch on what's to come, because after a very easy opening series on paper, the Braves have a very difficult week on paper coming up. They play three games in St. Louis to start the week without any of Freed, Strider, or Kyle Wright pitching. So you take out your best three starters, none of those guys are pitching, and then you're going to St. Louis, a not, not a great team, but certainly a pretty good team and playing them on the road um, with some uncertainty. It's going to be Dodd. It's going to be probably Elder on Wednesday. Question marks, question marks, question marks. Morton debuts on Monday. Um, <laughs> I just saw on the document you wrote a name of a former broadcaster. Uh, anything you want to add about the uh, Cardinal series? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this uh, this podcast is not sponsored by one of the sports books, but I would probably take the over in these three games coming up. Uh, you mentioned it's it's going to be Morton, Dodd, and Elder, more than likely. Uh, the Cardinals are, are going to roll out Jake Woodford, Stephen Matz, and Miles Michaelis. Mike Michaelis is pretty good. Um, Woodford is... I mean, I feel like every Cardinals pitcher is the same. Woodford is a sinker baller who doesn't strike anybody out. Um, doesn't, I mean, he walks a decent number of guys. The stuff is very average. I, I guess I didn't realize Steven Matz was still around. Uh, so he's, you know, a lefty. So we're going to see more of this left-handed lineup that we've seen. And then Michaelis is, is pretty good. But, uh, you know, the Cardinals lineup is very strong, especially in the middle. They have Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Contreras, which is, about as good of a three, four, five as you're going to see. Uh, the bullpen is not great, and as we know, the Braves lineup is going to be able to hit pretty much anybody. So it's, it should be a fun series. It will be the uh, the Chip Carry series. Maybe they'll they'll sneak Chip in for a little message before one of the games. Uh, he seems to be happy in St. Louis, which is of course where he and his family are from. But it's uh, it's going to be a tough week. You have you have St. Louis, and then you have the Padres, who at least on paper are as good as anybody. Yeah, and the Cardinals are playing right now as we record this, but they're actually up nine to four. So it looks like they're going to take two out of three from Toronto to open the season, which is pretty strong. Toronto's pretty good. 
So a tough series there. And then, like you mentioned, they come home. Yes, it's the home opener, and that's always fun. But four games in a row against the Padres. The Padres are quite good on paper. Um, you pointed this out. It looks like they're going to miss you, Darvish. He's scheduled to pitch on, on Wednesday. That, that's one positive. But the Padres have basically spent the last two years acquiring anyone and everyone they possibly could have. So they are uh, one of the preseason favorites in the National League, along with the Braves, I think. Um, and uh, it's a Sunday night game as well. Uh, prime Scott Coleman hours on Sunday. I believe it's a 7 o'clock start Eastern time. So circle the wagons on that one. We'll have to do a late night podcast on Sunday. But uh, a definitely, uh, I would say, the best series in baseball over the weekend as far as like just casual fan interest, national interest, would be that Braves Padres year. I mean, I, I can't imagine yeah. what else it would even be. I mean, that, the, probably two of the top what five teams in baseball on paper, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and two like fun teams to watch too, right? Like young, talented Padres lineup is really good. They have some good starting pitchers. And then we know that Truist Park is going to be jumping for opening weekend. Yeah, I'm sure I, I didn't look. I would imagine all four games are going to be sold out or close to it. And then one quick note, Brad, you mentioned the game on Sunday is on Sunday Night Baseball. And I think you feel similarly. I am loving these run times for the games. <laughs> I, as Freezing. somebody who... Yeah, as someone who is skeptical of the pitch clock when it was all announced, I i mean, I really do enjoy it. I feel like the games flow so much better. Now, there may come a point in time in October where playoff games, like th- the drama that builds in playoff games almost feels like it's being negated by the, the quickness and maybe MLB makes an adjustment in some capacity then. But for games on April 2nd, I mean, there's nothing worse than watching a four and a half hour baseball game, especially if your team loses, like watching a four and a half hour game on Sunday night where the Braves lose nine to seven is just crushing. And then you have to do a podcast at the end of it. Um, so I, I I think you feel similarly, but I am enjoying the new rules for the most part. Yeah, I, uh, I'm loving it as well. It is definitely uh, business business like in a good way. I get, get you in, get you out. We were trying to talk about how we're going to record this podcast. And it was like, well, we can kind of bank on it not being more than three and a half hours, which you couldn't always bank on. We always uh, kind of, you know, try to schedule the podcast as fast as possible after the game's over on Sundays. And it's like, well, we could probably be safe in doing this one. And it was another breezy game today. So that was fun. Uh, One more programming note, by the way, in addition to the Sunday night game, uh, I believe Friday is an Apple TV plus game. And I'm not an expert on this, but you might want to start figuring out how to watch Apple TV plus. Cause I think it, (laughs) one of those things where, uh, there was a report. I'm not sure about this, honestly, but like I think it might not be free anymore. You might have to actually have Apple TV Plus. I don't know. But anyway, I, I believe Friday. that's correct. There are some. If you don't want to pay like seven dollars a month for, um, actually, I think with Apple TV you get a free seven day trial. Because I looked into this when it was announced. I believe there's a seven day trial for free, so you can at least watch this one. Though I think the Braves have two more Friday night games within the next month or two, um, and there. Are, alternate ways to watch a baseball game online i'll let come people on they're, come on they're googling if you don't want to if you don't want to pay for it but you also get like ted lasso on apple plus so maybe it's worth it yeah i just want to give that give that psa because i inevitably brace fans will, will figure this out at like 7 p.m eastern on friday that the game is only on apple plus and get very mad about it so we're just warning you now apple tv plus on friday and then it's an espn game on a sunday evening all right, Scott. Well, that's all we have. At least we wish you have more to add. You know, two and one start, obviously a pretty, you know, standard business-like start for the Braves, but that's that's totally fine. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about the Braves as I was a few days ago, um, you know, pending Max Freed updates, but I think we kind of are in agreement that it's not going to be anything terribly serious. So 
knock on wood there, but uh, anything else you, that you have to add on this fine Sunday afternoon evening? No, it should be a fun week ahead. Full games, no days off. The Friday really killed my vibe being off after <laughs> opening day. It's the worst. Always. Yeah, never felt. I guess we did make it through a series in Washington, D.C. without a weather delay of some kind, which might be like the first time ever. If it feels like uh, there's always some kind of delay when the Braves travel. But overall, good opening weekend. Uh, you hope Max Freed is back sooner than later. You take two out of three, you take care of business against the bad teams. And I think at the end of the year, you'll find yourself in a good place. Um, I did want to ask you, Brad, very officially, UConn minus seven and a half in the national championship Monday night. You got UConn, you got San Diego State, you were in Houston. So I'm curious to hear your your hot takes. Yeah, I've now seen UConn play their last three games in a row in person, and they looked incredible in all three of them. So uh, I am one to generally go against the grain and not just blindly take UConn laying the points. I think I might be forced to choose on the spread to take San Diego state. I think you can't pick against UConn to win. And if they win it by 15, it's not going to surprise anybody. I think I might wait till the very end and try to get like plus eight on San Diego state if I had to choose one, but with very little confidence, that's more just to fade the public aspect that I have in my brain, but UConn looks great. And if they play a B plus game, they should win. So there you go. Yeah. I would agree. That, that's my analysis. Breaking news here on the podcast. Wire to wire college basketball talk from the uh, from the draw on, on four because my team didn't even make the tournament and uh, Scott's favorite team, I think, lost. At some, I can't remember when, when you guys lost in the tournament. It was weird. I I've out. forgotten. I really don't yeah. remember, so we can move on. No, we'll move on from there. All right, Scott. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on the podcast as always. Please plug yourself. Tell folks where they can find your fantastic work, including – your bandwagon jumping return to Sacramento Kings. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Thanks everybody for checking us out. We'll be here all week on the feed. Um, Scott Coleman 55 on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow the site at battery power SBN and be sure to check out the website. Lots of great coverage, minor leagues, major leagues, any news that comes up. Uh, we appreciate all your support and we'll be back soon. Well said, Scott, please go ahead and find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you want a game system, I'm definitely open to that. If you want to subscribe and unsubscribe and then resubscribe, if you want to download multiple times across platforms and Apple and Spotify and Google Play, all those places, we definitely would appreciate all the support that you can give us. Find a Brands fan that has not found the podcast yet and share it with them. And uh, like, like Scott said, we have uh, episodes throughout the week. Sean Coleman, Daily Hammer, as well as the podcast we did later with Stephen and Chris. And then uh, if all was according to plan, Scott and I will be back again in a week from now. So please subscribe. Thank you for listening to your podcast, everybody. And we'll see you all next week.